legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Luke Dodson. The decline of industrial civilization and a welter of political, economic, social, and cultural ills is plain to see, even if most still deny it. But what's behind the wokeification of history? The rise of populism in recent times has caused a crisis among so-called liberals and progressives who feel that the comfortable world they took credit for building is being eroded by racists, bigots, and fascists. But if the underlying mythic structure of your worldview and ideology is based around the idea that future equals good and past equals bad, cognitive dissonance will result. Simply put, in a world that is not conforming to the narrative of continuous progress, the response from self-declared progressives has been to try to rewrite our past into the multicultural utopia that they wish to see realized. This will not end well. The war on reality cannot be won. Hello and welcome, Luke, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks, Greg. It's always a pleasure. Now, uh, look, uh, you and I uh, met up recently for the first time in person um, in London at a launch events, book launch talk, call it what you will, for Jason Horsley's new book, Big Mother, The Technological Body of Evil, uh, which is, I think, it is most important work to date. Now, there's a lot of topics covered in there that you and I have share an interest in. I've said a little bit in my recorded introduction about what we'll be discussing today. And the title, really, of the talk should tell people a lot, if not everything, they need to know. But before we really get started, just tell, for listeners who um, haven't come across you before, um, just tell them a little bit about your work. I'm a blogger and podcaster. Um, I've also got a background in music. uh, And my field of study was in literature. So I'm very interested in how language shapes our perceptions of reality and uh, how narratives are formed in the culture. Um, One of my areas of interest is in history. Uh, You know, I I was a little bit obsessed with medieval history and dark age history when I was quite young uh, because I got interested in the old Celtic and Norse Greek myths. And then I was interested in finding more out about the cultures that produce those and uh, seeing that they had elements of wisdom that perhaps we've lost now, although they had they weren't utopias by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and they had many aspects of their culture that contemporary people would find uh, shocking. Uh, but nonetheless, I felt that there was something there that is interesting and worth knowing about um and so where i've been going recently with 
my writing and with my podcasting is um, talking about the way that our current narratives about history are changing and how they are reflecting aspects, you know, that Jason talks about parapolitics and social engineering. So there's that aspect of it. There is um, clearly a, a lot of conscious manipulation of agendas at play but i th also think there's a lot of uh unconscious movements you know in, in the in the biggest most macro most jungian sense of that term that there's there are things moving within the unconscious and it's quite interesting to read the contemporary narratives as if they're a kind of a you're an analyst in the chair in the the um the therapy room and a client is telling you their dreams and the things that they're dreaming about the culture are, are can be very really re, very revealing so um that that's kind of where i'm coming from well the woke rewriting of history from the title of our talk really this culture has been about you know the contemporary culture air quotes around progressive because it's not really what progressive meant in decades mm. gone by has generally been about for you know forward movement and all of these trends that the woke culture exemplifies our positive and old and unfashionable ideas are receding into the past and that you know, history is is linear in terms of progress things were less good in the past and they're becoming more good as we move forward the only way is up now that idea is going away on all sorts of fronts not mm. least you know in, in people's everyday lives and you know in terms of economics politics and social and cultural trends but this relatively recent development that we're talking about here is this you know amplifying the role of some of these you know woke ideas or modern contemporary subcultures that really may or may not actually exist in any any kind of tangible reality that this somehow is something that existed in the past for me it's a really interesting development because if you were if these are all examples of things getting better you know, for the species and progressive trends and moving away from you know dark age ideas, mm. why this need to rewrite history? Because to me, that just seems like rather than proving your ideas, you know, they're self-evident that you somehow need to then point to a sort of overhauled or revised version of history to say that these things are positive, you know, because they existed in the past. Because mm. until recently, it was all about, you know, as I say, the, the old non-fashionable ideas of the past and now it's kind of like oh well but the ideas that, we, that we're pushing they're nothing new at all it's a really interesting development because as you say the whole the whole narrative of progress is you know a linear upward trend um but what what seems to be happening now is that um people particularly in academia are uh increasingly appealing to the authority of the past and of tradition to sort of shore up certain ideas and and one of the instances that i found particularly striking and very amusing was a study that came out in 2021 i think that claimed that a, a finnish grave i think it was a, a knight or a warrior or some some kind of early medieval or uh uh grave they they found uh 
that the person that was interred in the grave may have been non-binary. And I, I just burst out laughing as soon as I read this because I <laughs> the 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 whole notion of it is completely insane. I mean, the word the word non-binary had no meaning in any context except possibly maybe certain aspects of computer coding or I I don't know. I don't know anything about computer programming, but I know there's binary code in computers. Uh, it had no meaning uh, up until a few years ago, and so then to, to retrospectively label uh, a grave as containing someone who was non-binary is just the most blatant display of kind of Orwellian propaganda, um, but of a really strange and petty sort. It's not, you know, Eurasia has always been at war with uh, East East Asia or Oceania or whatever, which we're seeing, we're seeing plenty of that as well. But it, it's just, you know, someone may have been a member of a subculture that didn't exist till about 2015 or so. <laughs> you know, the whole non-binary um, idea is one in the mind. I, you know, I'm not trying to belittle anyone's idea of, you know, what they feel themselves to be, you know, whatever their body is or however they feel that doesn't represent the true them, but it's just a, a way of identifying how you feel about these things is a non-binary thing. You know, it's, there's nothing that you can identify by means of archaeology or forensic biology that you can say that someone is non-binary. It's purely <laughs> just something that they declare themselves to be. And if they're sincere in that, well, you know, knock yourself out. But it's a, it's a mental concept. Yeah, yeah. And this is the really striking thing about that particular um, study, which was that they're conflating several different ideas. So gender ideologues often conflate the medical biological condition that of hermaphrodit hermaphroditism or what is now called intersexed individuals uh those are that is a biologically recognized category that applies to a very small number of people um and in fact uh, all intersex people are themselves either male or female Sex is always binary, even for the intersexed people, that they might have uh, genetic traits or physical traits that would be more in common with the opposite sex. But nonetheless, they are, they're never a 50-50 mix. This is something that uh, is really important, and people often don't recognize this, even people who really should know better about these things. Um so you've got intersex. So the, the idea was that this this Finnish person may have been intersex, which is a really dicey thing to figure out from a grave. I mean, even a standard male or female identification for a skeleton of that age can be tricky. But when you're talking about very, very small um, signals in someone's bio biology that would indicate that they they had this condition that's very tricky to pick up from a grave um i i i want to bring in the work of my friend stone age herbalist who we talked about in the preamble uh because he's a really interesting archaeologist he's anonymous and he's he's got a substack he's got a very active twitter and he writes a lot about this um that at the moment what's happening in archaeology uh, and this is a kind of a bit of a, a side tour, but we we can we can touch on it. 
because it, it it does actually it's very relevant to the overall topic that we're we're discussing today archaeology is kind of bifurcating into the nuts and bolts world of genetic archaeology or archaeogenetics which is proving lots of old reactionary theories that were consigned to the dust from years past uh such as you know the um the the expansion of the indo-european tribes across eurasia um all these kind of ideas that got a very bad reputation after the second world war being associated with racism colonialism imperialism and all that uh, they're all coming back uh, due to the advances made in genetic research what archaeologists have done in response to that is either gone along with the new research or come up with ideological ways to try to subvert it or undermine it um and you get this coming out coming out as either saying that genetic research is actually not trustworthy because it somehow is implicitly intrinsically racist or colonialist or all these things so you can't actually epistemologically you can't trust it because it's just not the data is damned it's cursed you know uh you get others who try to do things like the um the cheddar man reconstruction which happened around 2015 around the time of the whole kind of brexit controversy and the rise of populism which led people led a lot of um comfortable intellectuals educated people ivory tower types to start quivering a little bit because suddenly the um you know the unwashed pitchfork waving maga hat wearing masses were you know uh surrounding the surrounding the academy or so they they imagined and so they they came up with uh these sort of reconstructions of the um cheddar man who's a i believe mesolithic very well preserved body found in cheddar in somerset um his one of his descendants actually lived in cheddar fairly recently may even still live there today uh direct descendants according to genetic research uh they did a reconstruction where they made his skin look uh very much darker than he necessarily was uh he probably did have dark skin maybe darker than most contemporary british people today who knows um we don't really know there's no real real reason to assume so certainly no reason to assume that he was could be identified as being black which again is another category that these terms like black and white they come up after the sort of the the um the colonial period they don't really there isn't really a strong precedent for that those terms meaning the things that they mean now prior to i'm just gonna sort of off the top of my head say probably like the 1600s maybe the 1500s um they came up as a result of the indentured servant the indentured servitude uh that was going on in the colonies uh, which included a lot of uh both black and white uh indentured servants and 
a lot of a lot of uh a lot of irish uh, a lot of english a lot of uh all kinds of european nationalities ended up in this the the kind of um the sort of the the version of history that i was taught was that it, it was the terms black and white were really created as a way of trying of dividing this indentured servant class because they were um they tended to align with each other uh, in the revolts against their masters so as a way of sort of dividing conquer strategy the these concepts like white and black I, i'm there may be more a more complicated explanation than that but that's certainly the the version of history that i i learned i'm sure there's some truth to that uh, but anyway <laughs> cheddar man lived a very long time before any of these categories had any meaning um and really it was a, a kind of weaponization of archaeological research i think uh to uh to sort of try to undermine what they what these uh liberal academics would call the far right um which at the time i thought this is a this is a a shaky move because it's if it turns out that they're wrong then they're not exactly going to look like they're in it they have a good position they have a good uh uh a good leg to stand on well i mean you could look at that uh period of history the colonial period um as maybe the first one of the first major steps uh on the road to the world we find ourselves in now i mean of course there was empire and millennia gone by before that and you know large scale domination exploitation and control but you know to the, the modern era uh, you could see that period as you know the early rumblings um of, of what's actually you know beginning to to show signs of strain and cracks in now and you know speaking of black and white i mean and divide and conquer i mean that's one of the things that characterizes so much of our, our culture and what passes for debate now is black and white not in terms of of race or skin color but just in terms of you're either with us or against us you know one side or the other L lack of nuance uh lack of uh, literally a lack of color you know it's just one or the other hmm. and that's it's just very very prevalent it's like anybody trying to navigate away between those things is you know like you to get dashed on the rocks yeah yeah uh, well jason introduced me to the concept of schismogenesis which was something that gregory bateson the anthropologist wrote about uh, and uh schismogenesis is where you well it happen it can happen organically when there's a a tribal conflict or an ethnic conflict and the two opposing groups amplify their differences in response to the conflict um but bateson i believe was talking about it and and certainly jason horsley's talking about it in terms of a deliberate process by a faction outside of the conflict that is stoking the stoking the conflict it's a way of trying to prevent people from sharing knowledge sharing ideas and pooling together their resources to come up with a more complete and more nuanced picture of what is so i think that's happening a lot now certainly and as, as you you say that issues are so often black and white or black or white uh and you know you know that it's still 
uh, ethnicity and race are being used and weaponized for that purpose. You know, you can see this on social media and Twitter. You know, you see the, the sort of um, the, the the different ethnic factions and sort of political factions emerging, and you know, trying to all trying to fight for their corner. And you're seeing this a lot now with what's happening in the Middle East. You know, there's, there's you know one side calling for the destruction of the other side and the same, you know, all over the place. Uh, it's very difficult to come up with a fairly nuanced picture when you're being invited and pulled into this sort of, well, you're either, you're either on this side and all those people are bastards and need to die or you're on that side and all the other people are bastards and, you know, all this, this complete... Um, hysteria uh and 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 you know there is something there is something of human nature in there that it's like whenever there's a conflict you start to feel you know what's going to happen to my tribe what's going to happen to my clan we, we we're programmed to feel that way uh and and those feelings are being are being weaponized quite a bit nowadays uh, and with some really quite uh potentially quite grotesque results i think you know particularly with regards to sort of ethnic tensions i think there's a lot that uh there's a lot that's being deliberately stoked up uh interestingly enough actually just just as a side note um a, a blm regional leader uh, came out in support of the the right wing MAGA Proud Boys, um, and so that there's you know that, that's an interesting turn up for the books where I'm not not I'm, I'm not of the view that either the BLM or the Proud Boys are anything but both media psyops themselves, but it's kind of interesting to see that one side being played off against the other but then occasionally individuals within that going hang on a minute we actually potentially have more in common with each other than we have with the elites who are trying to play play us off against against each other so it'd be interesting to see where that goes yeah it's like you know one of your one of your bots has blown a gasket you know they're <laughs> not supposed to behave like that yeah um but we shouldn't need anyone to tell us who our tribe is you know there's something that you should uh, you should understand innately and feel and if you've got someone who's apparently outside of your so-called tribe telling you this is your tribe you, you need to identify with them then you know that you know straight away that's 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 not your tribe like we use that word loosely to refer to that natural you know human propensity going back into the earliest history of the group of people that you grew up around, you know, your your family and your extended family and other people who are like you. This is a very natural human instinct, you know, programmed. Even today, you know, we tend to, in, in just going through life, you know, tend to like people who are like us. Mm. Uh, no, usually subconsciously or unconsciously, you know, it's just a thing. We like people who like us and we like people who are like us. It uh, doesn't mean we don't like people who are not like us. But, you know, you're just naturally drawn. That's the way this thing works. And that probably has roots, as I say, genetic or psychological unconscious roots going back uh, to the earliest times. But then to be all of this, like, 
what we referred earlier to, to black and white, the divide and conquer, the, you know, the, the creation of ever more groups and subgroups. Um, it's Steiner's idea of, I see it, you know, his phrase, the war of all against all. That's what it feels like at the minute, you know, more and more subdivision and subdivision, you know, getting to the point where it's, it's just absurd trying to keep track of it. But going back to uh, what you were saying about the recent populist trends characterized with the Brexit vote, the UK voting to leave the European Union, again, flying in the face of what the establishment wanted. Mm. Uh, they apparently didn't see that coming, but some of us sitting on the sidelines could have said, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're playing with fire here. This is Russian roulette. You get a one in six chance of blowing your brains out. Also, the election of Trump, similar idea. There's no way this lunatic is ever going to win the election, and he did. And you mentioned Fran- Francis Fukuyama. Um, we both have, you know, the whole sort of um, end of history and the narrative of continuous progress. In response to this, this rewriting uh, of the past that we're talking about here, or attempt to do so, for me, it really seems so incredibly futile, a bit like that whole Finnish grave, you know, archaeology. It's really hard to see what this could achieve. I mean, what, what's the actual point? I mean, is it is it as futile as I think it is? Do you see it that way? I mentioned to you again in the in the preamble off air, you know, so what if there were like apparently thousands of people, trans people in the Napoleonic Wars, or if uh, during the Ice Age there were, you know, X number of intersex people? So what? You know, what it, it seems to me like a real exercise in futility. Interesting question because I, I don't know if I hang out with enough people who would, uh, to unthinkingly consume this kind of propaganda to say how well it's working on people it, it certainly does seem to be the case that more and more you get these sort of films and television programs that are depicting say you know medieval european history or, or more recent history uh and you know the, they'll 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 cast uh an improbable ethnic actor in a role uh and just no nobody's allowed to sort of even comment on it hang on a minute How, why is why why are they playing a vi a viking what is that does surely that's not quite historically and i mean you know that i'm not i don't really care about historical accuracy in fiction because it's like well you know um it is is Laurence Olivier allowed to play Othello, even though he's not uh, North African? Well, sure, you know it's it's fine, you know, within a certain context. But it's not a it's not a case of just this is you know we're a, we're a theatre company and we're just going to cast the the best actors that we think for the role, and you know some of them happen to be. Uh, you know this ethnicity some of them happen to be that ethnicity doesn't really matter you know um it, it seems to be the fact that it's not you're not allowed to say it like hang on a minute why is david copperfield being portrayed by a young south asian guy uh when surely there are there were south asian people in victorian britain no question probably quite a few more than people imagine that that make a film about them that'd be interesting why do you have to it's this sort of like 
it's this very strange kind of cognitive dissonance that I think that's the point is to create a sense of just hang on everything's a bit dreamlike everything's a bit sort of weird you're not allowed to say it because you know people say oh that's you, you know you're you're skirting the edges but it's just it's not even like saying this is a bad thing it's just saying why why is this now and why now and i i think that yes i think that this um this fracturing that seems to have taken place with the rise of populism what what's behind that you know i mean that that i think that these a lot of these populist movements themselves are deeply uh embedded within the same within the same matrix of of financial and political relationships that they claim to be opposing you know i i don't believe that nigel farage is a great freedom fighter particularly um no, no he's 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 a he's a finance guy. He's a businessman. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he he certainly comes from that. Well, nonetheless, I mean, you know, you can make an, a case that he's a sort of uh, an insider who's become a bit of an opportunist, who's kind of knows some tricks and he's trying to get his way within it. I don't know. I mean, I I to be honest, I don't really care. I'm not that interested in <laughs> in in what he gets up to, but. It, you know there does seem to be some power struggle going on at the moment within the elites so I, I think that there is a an element of it that's just theater but i also do think there is a genuine the stakes are quite high now and, and people like trump represent a certain faction that not, not not necessarily any better than the ones that they're opposing but they are a potential threat to some power interest and so i i think that there's a a doubling down on all of those things that john michael greer very astutely recognized as being the 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 uh the qualities that our ruling classes like to imagine they have as their the justification for them being on top so uh he explains this in king of the king in orange very well uh which is that you know our our sort of liberal managerial elites they like to think of themselves as being the most enlightened the least racist you know the most tolerant or the most inclusive even though they're not really you know um they're just as bigoted as anyone else but they like to imagine they they, they tell themselves and the rest of us that story and so they're, they're doubling down on these you know increasingly insane woke ideas like let's get a drag queen to wave a you know wave some sex toys around in a school in front of little children and they all go yes this is very good and very progressive because uh that is their signaling to the rest of us that they are uh, so much better that they can see the the enlightened wisdom in that um but yeah i mean you know going back to something else that we were talking about which is that the fear that perhaps the future isn't all it's cracked up cracked up to be and then maybe we have to look to the past for the justification for our uh our narrative in fact it was always like this you know um there always been non uh, cheddar man was not just black he was non-binary or something like this and all of these sorts of ideas that 
establishing a continuity rather than a, a linear upward progression now perhaps that's an indicator that the myth of progress is collapsing i don't know it'd be interesting though well it's worth pointing out that we talk about you know these elites being so-called thinking themselves as tolerant all tolerant really means is, is actually putting up with something you don't like <laughs> you know I, I hear this quite a lot people saying oh we're such a tolerant society or this institution is very tolerant or you know blah 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 and yeah putting up with something that you dislike is uh you know some kind of stoicism but it's not really an acceptance of the validity or you know value of that which you're tolerating you know yeah. sometimes we will tolerate the cold until our heating system is fixed that type of thing you know we will tolerate hunger until food arrives in the shops again that type of thing but it's interesting talking about that this projection of the current trends you know onto the past along the lines that you've been talking about because it's almost like oh we, you know all of this diversity again in air quotes that uh, that we're enjoying now you know increasing diversity i would just call it division more than anything else we project it onto the past, but what I really see it as disintegration beyond mm. division, actually. So this disintegration of the culture that we're going through at the minute, projecting that onto the past, say, oh, well, turning the idea of the myth of progress, or sorry, the narrative of progress, you know, as seen by some people, not as a myth, turning it on its head, rather than saying, oh, well, the past was whatever, you know, great achievements there were. Um, we're still the only way is up. We're moving forward all the time. It might be a rocky road, but we keep moving up. Now, what's being said? Oh well, yeah. This um, what's t you know unconsciously being said is that the disintegration that we're seeing now that's presaged in the past. Hmm. See what I mean? So it's almost a strange way of saying, oh well, you know, if if it was said in bold bold terms, it would be. Things are bad now, but the past was just as bad. So, yeah. you know, how, how does that sound? Uh, you know, set against the, the you know the overarching idea of the of, of eternal progress. Well, it sounds to me sometimes when I hear people telling themselves like things like, "Oh, you know, the city they live in. Oh, it's just the same as it's always been. You know, uh, whatever it is." It can sound to me a bit like what the what the young kids on the internet are calling these days a cope which is they they've they've turned the verb cope into a uh a noun uh a noun yeah i'm thinking i've got that right it's been a long time since i studied english guys uh <laughs> it's a bit rusty but uh it's a cope is a noun and, and what it means is like it's a cope is a, a way of shoring off an unpleasant reality that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com Legalizefreedom.com